how many of you accurately predicted this year? Huh? Did anybody get this one right? No? How many of you said at the end of last year, new year, new me? Right? Did did we say that one? How many of you said, uh, cash me outside, how about that? Right? Anybody said that one? No? Anybody said, 2020 is going to be my year? No one said that one, huh? You know, I, I imagine that this year did not go the way that you had planned it to go. I, most certainly this year did not go the way I had planned for it to go. Maybe you were, you were or you are disappointed with how this year turned out. Maybe there's something that happened this year that, that you weren't real, real excited about. You know, we, we all know disappointment. Every one of us knows disappointment. There's not a person here that doesn't know disappointment. You know, friends break their word. Marriages end in divorce. Co-workers betray us. Companies lay us off. Doctors aren't able to cure us. Our 401ks disappear or shrink. Our dreams are shattered. The best laid plans that we have for ourselves, they go awry. Other Christians disappoint us, and often we disappoint ourselves. We live in a world where disappointment surrounds us. And if we do not come to the realization of that truth right there, we are destined to be unhappier tomorrow than we are today. Dr. Jerome Frank at John Hopkins University in Baltimore talks about our assumptive world. And what he means is that we all make certain assumptions about life. Many times, our assumptions go unstated. And deep down, we believe that if we do X, Y, and Z, others will treat us in a way that is acceptable to us. We make assumptions that we have earned certain things out of life. Anybody know anyone like that? If those expectations or if those assumptions are not met, we are disappointed. There is a strong correlation between good mental and spiritual health and having assumptions that match reality. And there is a high correlation between misplaced assumptions and a variety of emotional and spiritual problems, including depression and anxiety. Simply put, we're disappointed when things don't go the way we thought they were going to go. Unmet expectations lead to disappointment, and disappointment to despair. When we experience disappointment, it's because the expectations we had about something have gone unmet. We've put all of our hope into an experience, an event, or maybe even a person. And it didn't go as planned. Some things disappoint us and only affect us for a few hours. Other disappointments break our hearts deeply. Our relationship fails. We don't get that job that we had our hopes set on. The trip that we had planned gets canceled. We lose a loved one or our plans fall through. Essentially, we become disappointed 
when there's a divide between our expectations and what actually happened. Often it's disappointment that causes us to question God. Because we wonder why our desires or hopes weren't met. We feel He's let us down. You know, in, in the book of Genesis, in chapters 37 through 45, we find the story of Joseph. Many of you are familiar with that story. But in Genesis chapter 37, verse, uh, turn with me to Genesis 37, and let's look at 26 through 36. This young man, Joseph, he was very well acquainted with disappointment. I'll begin reading verse 26. It says, let me make sure I'm on the right one. There we go. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew them and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and told Joseph, to the, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt, and Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, where, where shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and they killed a, a goat, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Potiphar's, uh, officer of Pharaoh's, and captain of the guard. Joseph is about 17 year old, years old here, and one of the first things that, that he was disappointed with, he was disappointed with his family. I'm sure some of us are disappointed with our family. That happens very often. Family can't come to gatherings. Family can't show up. That disappoints us. We expect people to show up, and they don't. But unlike Joseph's family, our family didn't sell us into slavery. <laughs> Amen, right? So Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. He was betrayed. The second thing that happened to, to Joseph, and uh, flip over with me to chapter 39 of Genesis, and verses 19 through 23. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, and she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, and that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. You know, so what happened, Joseph gets to Egypt. He goes to work for Potiphar. He does a great job for Potiphar. And one day, uh, Potiphar's wife decides that she wants to have Joseph. And Joseph runs out of the room, leaves his coat behind him, and then lies about Joseph 
to her husband Potiphar. And Potiphar believes his wife over Joseph, and he puts him in jail. So Joseph was betrayed, and he was lied about. The third thing we're going to look at about Joseph is in chapter 40. I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but that whole chapter from verses 1 to verse 23, it talks about while he's in prison. Some of you may know this, this story. He's there, and these two guys come in, and they have these dreams like, hey, Joseph, maybe you can help us interpret. And he interprets the dreams, and he interprets it correctly. And the guy says, hey, look, when I go back, I'm going to remember what you did. I'm going to remember, and I'm going to help you. But that's not the case. Joseph was forgotten about. He was betrayed, he was lied about, and he was forgotten. Some of y'all feel like that today. You feel betrayed, you feel lied about, you feel forgotten. We also experience disappointment because we think this world is supposed to be perfect. We may not actually express it, but we hope that we'll get married to that dream person, right? That we'll excel at everything we do. Anybody have that expectation? Or that we'll land that lucrative job, the one that we just, we know that that's the job that we are going to do and we're going to be great at it. But while a lot of good things happen here, on earth, know this, this earth is not our home. For those of us that are believers, this earth is not our home. This is not our final place. This earth is not perfect. So we need to adjust our expectations to what it should be. Even though this earth isn't our true and forever home, we still live here, we still breathe here, and God doesn't want us to be miserable lives here. He sent His Son, Jesus, to save us. He desires that we experience hope, joy, and peace while we temporarily reside here. No matter our belief systems, our mental capabilities, our social statuses, or our financial standings, experiencing disappointment will be a part of our lives. It's not something that we should enjoy. And we're usually eager to jump past it or to shove it in the part of our brain where we can try to forget it quickly. That doesn't help. It doesn't make us feel better. It just prolongs our healing. One thing that we need to understand about disappointment is that only God fully satisfies. We can find this in Psalms chapter 37. Turn with me there. Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. In the age of social media, we're all susceptible to falling into the comparison trap. Anybody found themselves there? We see pictures of friends vacationing at an all-inclusive beach resort. We watch videos of parents being fed breakfast in bed by their smiling children. We scroll through what seems like other people's endless 
achievements and adventures. And we look at our own lives and we see ordinary, we see mundane, we see messes, and we see brokenness. We buy into this thing called if only. This if only game is played like this. If I only had X amount of dollars in my bank account. If only I could buy a house with X number of bedrooms. If only I had X number of followers on Instagram or Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat. If only I could travel to this country or that country. If only I could get that job, then I would be happy. Contentment, it seems to be just out of our reach. Something that we follow around like a dog chasing his tail. Maybe you're disappointed because the if-only theology has defined your life. But today I hope and pray that God is prompting you to look away from other people's lives and perhaps look away from your own life and look to Him. When we're so captured by the beauty and majesty of God, our foremost and highest desire becomes Jesus Himself. In the Bible, we hear we have a story of Leah. Leah, whose greatest desire was for her husband Jacob's love. His attention was his attention was her, if only. But God sees Leah even if her husband doesn't. He notices her disappointment. He lovingly perceives her pain, and he blesses her with children. From Leah's womb comes the lineage of the Savior, something that Leah herself could not have even predicted. Through the story, God is teaching us not to put our hope in the fleeting affection of man, but on the sure, unconditional love of God the Father. The world sells us the idea that when we achieve our goals, when we get our if-onlys, then we will be completely fulfilled. But no one but God can satisfy our heart's deepest need and longing. Today, as you battle disappointment, discontentment, and the mess of life, remember this, God satisfies the longing soul. In Psalm 107, verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and he fills it with good things. The next thing, there is a purpose for our disappointment. It's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? Like, who would, who would give a purpose for our disappointment? Who would purposely do this? You've worked hard for the interview. You've researched. You've prepared. You've burned the midnight oil so that you can do your best. On D-Day, on interview day, you get there, you blow out all the interview questions, you answer every one of them, and then you get to the final interview. And you can see yourself at the Christmas party already. You can see yourself, you can see your name in the business card. You can see your name in the company directory. You can even see your name in your company email. You just see it. You see your office, you see everything there. And it's like one last series of questions, and I'm there. And then you bomb it. And then you fail. 
And as the interviewer looks at you like, what are you even saying? You can see this opportunity of a lifetime has slipped through your fingers. Disappointment cloaks you like an oversized winter coat. It swallows you up. You can't sleep. You blame yourself. You blame God. You just can't shake it off. Now, I just strung together a few hypotheticals with a few little bit of truth in there, but maybe that speaks to someone. Maybe you've been in a hypothetical scenario yourself. In Isaiah 66, verse 9, y'all turn with me there. Isaiah 66, verse 9. He says, shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Shall I cause to bring forth and not shut the womb, says God. That's kind of a, just a snapshot of that picture. But what he's saying here is, will, will I cause all the pains of labor and delivery without delivery? How many of you mothers out there have have been through all the pains. Some of you fathers have been through all the pains, right? Some of you have been through all those, all those late night snack runs. Some of us more than others. And you get to the point of delivery, and all the pain, everything's there, and then no delivery. That'd be disappointing, wouldn't it? What God is saying here, He's not going to do that with us. He's not going to bring us through all of that and then for no result, for nothing else. You know, this is, this is struggling for me, is that a place of disappointment can be a blessing. You know, in the book of James, it, it talks about, count it all joy when you fall into different types of temptation, different types of testing. I struggled with that for a very long time. But when he allows you to face discouraging circumstances, he has a purpose behind it. The question is whether you are allowing God to train you in that difficult season of disappointment. You see, oftentimes we, we kind of get stuck in our disappointment. We kind of get stuck in our despair. And we just kind of just wallow right in that spot. And we, we just basically shut down. If you are a perfectionist, perhaps this is when God is asking you whether your confidence lies in yourself or does it lie in Him. If you're a dreamer, perhaps this is God asking you whether your dream has become bigger than God Himself. Maybe you have dreamed something that's absolutely impossible. If you're a planner, perhaps this is when God is asking you whether you've charted your own life map or you're allowing Him to work out the plans for your life. In the Bible, we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, who prayed asking God 
to take away the chronic physical pain. Three times he prayed, but God didn't remove that thorn in his side. But Paul, he did something that most of us would not do. Most of us, when we got three no's from God, we just basically said, well, God doesn't want anything to do with me. But that's not what Paul did. Paul didn't retreat into his disappointment. Paul trusted that God had a purpose in not answering his prayers. Paul instead declares that he will boast in his weakness so the power of Christ may rest on him. How many of us are boasting in our weaknesses? So as you walk through the valley of disappointment, know that God is your good shepherd. Know that his grace is sufficient. Know that he will carry you through. May you see God more clearly and love him more fully through the disappointment that life may bring. So now that I got you all down and dejected about your disappointment, what do we do? What do we do about it? Well, when you don't know what to do, do the thing you know is right to do. I'll give an example. First thing we're going to do, we're going to get back to basics. Get back to basics. When I was in ninth grade in, 19, in the fall of 1988, the winter of 1988, I was a ninth grade freshman at West Point High School in West Point, Alabama. And I played on the basketball team. I wasn't this tall back then, but I was taller than most everyone else. And this was a, a ragtag group of guys that played basketball. Mostly country boys, mostly farm boys. Didn't know anything else to do other than throw hay bales. And we threw basketballs. And a few of us would play football, and then we'd go right into basketball. So we just got through beating each other's heads out, and then we'd go into basketball. And as we got into basketball, there was a few guys that had played basketball before, and there was a few of us that had not played basketball before. And, uh, and our coach, Coach Claiborne Campbell, he, he started working with us and teaching us about the game. Season started. And we started playing. We were a little rusty at first. And after a couple games into the season, we had this game. It was bad. It was really, really bad. We couldn't pass the ball. We couldn't dribble the ball. We couldn't shoot the ball. We couldn't communicate. We couldn't run a play. We couldn't substitute. Nothing went right. I think that was like on a Tuesday night. Our games were Tuesday nights, I believe, in, in JV. Well, the next day at school, we all knew we were going to get it. We all knew. I mean, we did nothing. We, we didn't cause any trouble, like freshmen usually do. We didn't cause any trouble because we knew when school was over and we had to go to the gym, Coach Claiborne, he had it in for us. We knew what was coming. We fully expected, when we got to that practice gym and got into our practice uniform, we fully expected to see trash cans at the end of each end of the basketball court. Some of you that played basketball know what those trash cans mean. You run suicides, and you run until you throw up. 
And when you get through throwing up, you better catch up and keep running again. That's what we fully expected. We went to the locker room, changed out of our school clothes, got into our gym clothes, and we went out on the court, and there was Coach Campbell. And, man, we were just sweating. I mean, we were like, oh, man, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be so bad. And Coach Campbell did something that none of us expected. Not one of us expected this. He said, okay, boys, y'all come over here. Y'all sit on the bleachers. And he gave us the what for, man. He really lit into us. He told us all the things that we did wrong from start to finish, from the tip-off to the final buzzer. He told us everything that we did wrong. I mean, he lit into us like we had never been lit into it before. And he said, there's only one thing we can do. And that one thing is, he picked up a basketball. And we were sitting, it was an old-style gymnasium, the old wood floors, Bleachers on both sides. We were sitting there, and he picked up a basketball. And he said, boys, this is a basketball. There's a game called basketball. And the goal of the game is to get more points than your opponent. And you get points by taking this ball and putting it through that hoop. He said, now... There's a couple ways that you can do that. You start at one end, and you go down the other. You can pass the ball, you can dribble the ball while you're walking, or you can shoot the ball. And he, walked, he started us, he picked up with us as if we knew nothing about the game. And we started over. We started over, and we did basic drills. I mean, we're halfway into the season. And he starts all over from the very beginning. All right? Everybody get a ball. You're going to dribble the ball. Dribble with your right hand all the way down the court. Come back, dribble with your left hand all the way down the court. Now cross between your legs all the way back and down the court. And we did that. Once we got done with that, then we said, okay, now we're going to pass the ball. We'd walk down the court passing the ball. And then we'd shoot free throws. Dear God, we shot so many free throws, I lost count of how many free throws we shot. But what Coach Campbell did is he brought us back to the basics. And that's what we should do. Once we find ourselves in a point where we're disappointed, we're, we're boarding on despair, we're despondent, go back to the basics. What are the basics of Christianity? First is prayer. Prayer is our connection with Him. When you find yourself in a spot, pray. The second thing we need to do is worship. Worship is our consecration of Him. We need to identify who He is and we need to tell Him. Not because He needs to know, because we need to hear it. You know, oftentimes when you say things out loud, you say things out loud so that you can hear it. You know, there, there's, there's a couple different ways in which people learn stuff. 
People learn stuff either through doing, through reading and writing, or they learn through hearing. And when I taught school, we would, we would teach, as you, as you do something, if you're not good at math, you write it down, you say it out loud, and you do it. Because you're, you're accomplishing all three things. You're doing it, you're saying it, and you're hearing it. And so that's what we need to do. We need to do it, we need to pray, and we need to worship. The next thing that we need to do with our doers, we need to be patient. You know, some might think that patient is just simply waiting. You know, Isaiah 40, 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Some people think being patient is waiting, but patience is much more than waiting. Patience, it's an active faith. It's an active faith that looks for growth. It's an openness that asks God to reveal something. It's making the most of what's harder in order to get out of what's to get out what's best. Turn with me in Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. You know, when you find your place in a, in a point of disappointment and despair have you set the Lord before you the third thing we're going to do is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 turn with me there 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 what we're going to do is we're going to speak what God says about our circumstances. We're not going to listen to what we say or what others say. We're going to listen to what God says about our circumstances. And he says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, it says, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not are eternal. So we're going to see what, we're going to look at our, our circumstance the way God sees it. And the way God sees it, it's just a light, momentary affliction. You know, the scriptures lead to this, that what is life but a vapor? Your entire life is just a vapor. And that little circumstance, that little point of disappointment and despair and despondency, it's just a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, as a guy used to work, he'd call him a little tourbillon. Some of you that speak French, maybe a little, a little, a little, a little spin. It's a little, it's a little tourbillon for a little, 
just puffs around. That's what that little problem that you have that seems so large, that's what that is. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Can we fully understand that right now? This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for the weight of glory beyond all comparison. In conclusion, in Isaiah 43, verse 19, it says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I spent a lot of time in the desert. And I tell you what, I've seen a river just pop up after a, a rainstorm. It's a fascinating thing to see. You know, there's, there's a song that we sing sometimes. Maybe you've heard it on the radio. It's called Graves into Gardens. Some of you remember that song? There's a line from that song. It says, you turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. Our last example is Elisha was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he lived a fantastic life. He spent years under his, under his mentor, Elijah. And he was with Elijah when Elijah was taken up into heaven. And because he was taken up, he received the mantle. And he received a double portion of what the Lord had given him. And Elisha had done many wonderful things. He saved a widow and her son from famine. He raised a boy back to life. He saved an entire town of poisoning just by cleansing the waters. But yet, that story in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20, it says, Elisha died and was buried. That's it. After the double portion that he had received from Elijah, the scriptures just say he died and was buried, just like that. And at first glance, this looks kind of disappointing that your life was summed up into just those four, five words. But God doesn't always say it's over when it's over. Elisha may have died, but God was not done. The scripture continues on in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21, and it tells the story of the Israelites in battle. And one of their friends was mortally wounded. And as they prepared to bury them, uh, bury their friend, the enemy got real close to them so that they had to abandon their dead friend. And instead of just leaving him in the field, they found this tomb and they tossed him into the tomb. And it just so happened that that tomb was the tomb of Elijah. And it just so happened that as that dead corpse hit those bones of Elijah, he came back to life. He came back to life, and the story continues on, that as those two ran away 
They threw the dead guy in the tomb. He comes back to life. He gets out of the tomb, and he runs and catches up with the two guys that had thrown him in there. You see, when the dead man fell on Elisha's bones, it wasn't over. When Ezekiel found himself in the valley of dry bones, it wasn't over. When Jesus hung on the cross, it wasn't over. The enemy wants you to think it's over. But through all these stories that we've covered today, God is showing us that none of these places were actually graves. They were gardens. Right when you think that you've been buried by your situation, by your circumstances, God reveals to you this morning that you're not buried, you're planted. New things are springing forth. Life is taking root. This is going to take some of us to kind of change the way we think, kind of change the way we see things. But God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. It's up to you to see the potential in what he's planted. Elijah may have died, but God wasn't done. Our last two scriptures here, Psalms 34, verse 18. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Is your spirit crushed this morning? The Lord is near. Psalms 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Does your spirit feel crushed this morning? Are you disappointed about how things ended up this year? Did things go the way you want them to go? Is your life going the way it want, you want it to go? Did you set some expectations that haven't been met? You know, if we went around the room this morning, I'm sure there's every person in here could say something about how their life is messed up and how something is wrong. But the scripture tells us that in spite of all that, the Lord is near. He's near to the brokenhearted. Is your heart broken this morning? Does he feel near to you this morning?